You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Rapcast. I'm of course Samson Folk, and today a special episode of sorts where we're not talking about the latest within the Raptors, but more so focusing on one player, Scotty Barnes, who has had a so-so start to his sophomore season. Some of the things that are happening are a little bit troubling. There are some positive progressions as well, and here to discuss it with me is Sam Vecini. He's a senior writer over at The Athletic and host of the Game Theory Podcast, uh, has his hands all over basketball, all over the world, scouting guys, watching NBA as well. Sam, how you doing? And then secondly, uh, if you could give us your background on Scotty Barnes, how, how intimately you've known his game for some time. Yeah, sure. So first and foremost, I am an enormous fan of your work. Uh, I want to say that from the jump. I uh, just kind of recognized your work this summer. And now I consume a lot of it. So I am a big fan of what you do over at Raptors Republic. Uh, second, yeah, Scotty in terms of what I thought. I had him at number six pre-draft. And my general thought was that he would be a terrific connective tissue piece in the vein of an Andre Iguodala. Uh, I think... In general, Raptors fans took the idea of one line that I said during a, I think, pre-draft or like during the draft stream where I was like, he's kind of a no-level scorer right now and kind of ran with it and thought that like, I don't really like Scotty and like, don't really like what he's about. Meanwhile, like, I think I was the only person that does this like draft thing professionally that had him in the top 10 like the entire year and really, really love and appreciate all of the little nuances that he brought to the game when he played for Montverde, when he played for university school, like played for Knight Riders on the AAU circuit. Like there are very few players that I've scouted more than Scotty. Like I saw Scotty when he was like entering his sophomore year of high school, like Adidas nations in like 2017 or something like that, like a 2018 or whenever it was. So I've seen a lot of the guy and every single time that I've seen him, I've always loved him and loved his game. I just had like general concerns about what the offensive role would be uh, moving forward in the NBA, just given how important it is to be able to shoot at the NBA level. And his shot developed as a rookie quicker than I anticipated, um, especially early in the season. But now we're kind of a almost a full season, it feels like, of Scotty being more of kind of who I thought he was as a shooter. Because he started great last year and then kind of tailed off later in the year. And now this year, the shooting just has not been there really at all 
frankly. So this has been more of what I kind of thought Scotty was while also acknowledging like, I love what he brings to the table as like a point wing almost like point forward. He's just a very strange player to put in a box. And that creates some real, it, it creates some real team building concerns and it creates some real things that you have to work around in terms of like building a scheme that works with him, especially right now when the shooting just like isn't there at this point. But I also think he brings so many other things to the table in terms of the way he drives transition, makes quick passing reads. Like it's a, it's a hard conversation. He's a very complicated player. And I think that that's why uh, he can be such a lightning rod from time to time. He, he's very confusing in the way that he succeeds on the court. And also the way that he succeeds could, I guess, drive people towards assuming things about his game that may or may not be true. And that's that's the interesting thing about him is that he, his game is kind of like a Rorschach test for some people. It's like, <laughs> what do you think about basketball? And then watch a Scotty Barnes game, a middle of the road game. Do you come away saying every like the keys should be handed to him? There are people who are subjugating his game, like let his genius flow free. Or are there people saying, okay, well, there's like obviously very hard limitations to work around here. What should be happening here? Is he motivating winning at this point in his career? And then there's the middle ground, of course. But the first thing I want to talk about is that addressing like the zero level score thing, right? And also you being so familiar with his game. What surprised you that he was succeeding at, I guess, not only last year, but so far into his career? most notably as an isolation score. Yeah, purely the jump shot early on. Uh, he was a guy that I thought just was very stiff as a jump shooter throughout his high school career, throughout the year at Florida State where he took, oh man, it was not many jump shots. It would have been like 40 or so over the course of, I think it was like 24 games, something like that. And it just didn't look great. He was very mechanical, very robotic while also being stiff and like not really being able to do it. And it's very clear that like, over the course of the summer between his draft, like the summer of his draft year, basically the spring and summer, he had cleaned up a lot in terms of being able to get into it as a pull-up shooter. And you saw that early on when he was at summer league, that he looked much more comfortable taking those pull-up shots. The other thing that I think I generally misevaluated with Scotty, as you can tell, like I don't, like I'm more than happy to talk about like my misevaluations on this stuff. Like it's, it's not a science, right? This is an art in a lot of ways. Uh, I think I misevaluated how much the open space of the NBA is compared to the space that he didn't have at Florida state would actualize his driving game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, those driving lanes in college where he played at Florida state, they play a lot of guys that are six foot seven to six foot nine. They're kind of like the original project six foot nine, right? Uh, They tend to, because the college game is so condensed where the three point line is like at 21 feet, those that lack of space offensively really showcases itself a little bit more. And then on top of it, I think the guys that are really, really hindered by that, are the guys that are six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot seven ball handlers that generally themselves take up more space on the court, right? And it just becomes hard for those guys to actually find the lanes to be able, like the little creases, the little uh, 
places where you can even like Euro step around defenders because it's so, so clogged at the end of the day. Right. And I think that I underestimated how clogged the court was at Florida State and kind of thought that it had to do with his first step in terms of why he wasn't putting pressure on the rim as much as I wanted him to. I don't think he has like a phenomenal first step, but I think that his stride length really allows him to Mm -hmm. extend out and be able to take advantage of those creases that are very, uh, at a much higher level than he did at college uh, at Florida State. So the next thing I want to ask about the touch, because not only was his touch kind of immaculate last season, a lot of the in-between shots, push shots, hook shots, touch shots, everything like that. And also his propensity or proclivity to seek out contact. That isn't, that's pretty rare for a player of his age. And also that uncanny ability he has to be bouncing around, flipping hips with the ball, a live dribble, but to always square himself to the basket right before yeah. he releases the ball. Was that stuff showing up at Montverde or Forest State or anything like that? <sighs> Not as much. Not as much as what we saw at Florida State. He was an okay finisher. At Florida State, he was – it's hard because he had such a physical advantage on everyone that he played in high school. And plus, in high school, like that last year, for instance, played with Cade Cunningham, played with Moses Moody, played with Dayron Sharp, guys that were just more developed offensively at that point than he was. So he didn't get as many chances even to have on-ball reps in the way that you know we even see now from him in Toronto. So it's a little bit of a different – evaluation in that respect as well because most high school players you get to see them rock out in a lot of ways right uh in his junior year in high school he played with vernon Carey at university school where vernon was the guy right like he was the offensive creative force and that's silly to think about now in the nba but like vernon Carey was 280 pounds and would just dominate everybody on the high school level so of mm-hmm. course they're going to throw the ball into him and scotty would be the secondary guy so like It was a difficult evaluation in that respect, but I didn't see as much touch in terms of his finishing ability either. Having said that, he very, I don't know about very clearly, but he clearly has some of it, let's say. Uh, The other part of it that I want to bring up before we like really dive into the weeds and like talk about some of the negative stuff is I really think that like the injuries that he's had this year are probably sapping some of Mm -hmm. his explosiveness in a way that is concerning. Uh, I I think that in a lot of ways, what we've seen from him may not be representative of what he can be in the future. And I think that like we can talk about the struggles he's had this year while also acknowledging that there's a chance that he comes back like next year. There's a chance he's showing up in February after he clears up the like ankle and knee stuff that he suffered early in the season and looks like a different guy just in terms of explosiveness, because right now he just doesn't have like any lift. It feels like whatsoever. And he has even a slower first step than what he had previously. And he's like a little bit stiffer and a little bit, and he's always been like that little bit of stiff. Right. But it feels like there's a little, he's not getting the most out of it right now. And I want to at least acknowledge that before we dive into this, that like, I, I don't think, I don't know for sure that what we've seen so far this year is representative of who he's been, because I feel like he's playing with like a diminished deck in terms of his explosiveness and athleticism right now. 
I think that's that's absolutely a good point to make. And just for the the listener, Scotty has injured injured each ankle at this point multiple times in his NBA career. He's had problems with both knees, and that is concerning. And not only that, that is something that he has continuously played through. Um, as somebody who has been at these practices when this news comes out, uh, when Scotty was having that tough start to preseason, and Nick Nurse just kind of lets it slip, like, "Oh yeah, Scotty had an ankle thing that we're just talking about now," and it's like, "Oh." Okay, does that explain it? And then, you know, after a couple bad games, you'll hear, well, Scotty's got that ankle thing. Scotty's got that knee thing. And, you know, maybe there's some wisdom to kind of push back and say, well, put that guy on ice. Make sure that he's healthy. You could do that. But we're also not Alex McKechnie. And there's a, you know, there's a chasm of information that I don't have, that many people don't have. But from the outside looking in, it's tough to look at Scotty the way that he doesn't push off of his left leg, the the yeah. lack of explosion in certain circumstances where he had it previously at the NBA level, where it's not being matched to his former self. And this is a player who's supposed to be progressing uh, both physically and as far as finesse and skill sets and everything like that. So worth noting. Do you well, it's, talk about it's the, also yeah. interesting that no one, we'll, we'll talk about all that in a minute here, but like, I think that the other thing with Scotty that is, improved this year is he's gotten stronger in his shoulders, in his back, in his torso. And like, he's always been a guy that's like seeked out. Yeah. Seeked out is the word. That sounds weird. Seeked out contact and tried to go through it. But I think that like guys bounce off of him more now as a driver. Like when he tries to drive on a mismatch, he really like got guards go backward. When he hits them now, it's not like, oh yeah, like they're holding their ground and he's elevating over the top using his seven foot three wingspan being six foot nine. No, it's like guys are like bouncing off of him and he's able to now just like jump stop, get set and like take a little floater or jump stop, take that weird little hook shot that he has like in the middle of the paint. Right. So I think that that part of his game has also improved the ability to play with physicality and that ability to like play through contact at a really high level. He's always had the desire to do it. But again, this is the kind of stuff where I'm like, okay, like this really might work long term. Like this, Mm -hmm. like he really might be able to be like a legit creator long term because I think physical strength just still remains like the most under discussed aspect of being like a high level creator being someone that's six foot nine. I mean, we see it a lot of the time with Pascal Siakam right now, right? Pascal is what, 28 years old now, something like that, Mm -hmm. 29. He's a little bit just way more physically developed and you can just see guys bounce off of him right now. And he does a lot of it with finesse and with footwork and with touch around the basket. And again, runners, floaters, things like that. But like, it's, it's something that when I look at Scotty, I say, okay, when he's 25, he might be even stronger. It might be like, freaking impossible for anybody to even stick with him in a mismatch, right? Mm-hmm. That's his That's his first playoff bu- basket was, you know, they, they're playing, they're using Joel, Joel Embiid as a goalie in the lane, sticking him in a gap on Pascal. The ball goes out to the corner where Tyrese Maxey is guarding Scotty. A bully drive all the way from the corner to the front of the rim. Does yep. Joel Embiid jump to meet Scotty there? He ended up not doing it, and Scotty, you know, gets a dunk after basically posting up for like, 20 feet and getting exactly to where he wants. And you wonder how far can you kind of extrapolate that and build that out? And this gets to the team building aspect of it, which we'll table for now. And for anybody (laughs) listening, if you want the full Raptors conversation, 
go to Sam's podcast, Game Theory, where we'll discuss it. But let's do the defense. Scotty Barnes, there are... So this is a thing. I, I've had conversations many different times about the way that statistics are used and particularly like matchup data and stuff like that. And the fact that Twitter carries so much of the conversation about players that the way you present data really informs how players are discussed. And Scotty with matchup versatility and with you can go to who he guards on NBA.com, the derivatives collecting data off of like, you know, second spectrum and all that. You can build a profile of where Scotty is this like unbelievably, you know, impactful Swiss army knife. But I think the truth of it, seeing every single game he's played, um, doing numerous breakdowns, you can go to my Twitter and see that I watched every possession of this guy and, and like tracked it and, you know, denoted like what's happening here and there. And he is not a positive defender currently. And he just got there at the end of last season. He is not a world beat or anything. And what do you think motivates that stance as like, he's not quite there yet. What are you seeing that he's missing? I think he's pretty bad at everything other than being like switchable and being able to take on different matchups. Right. Uh, you know, I sent you a clip for instance, where they were playing the nets over the weekend. And I think it was over the weekend might've been Friday. Um, where like he's isolated on Joe Harris, like Joe Harris is isolated on him and Joe Harris, not exactly fleetest of foot, not exactly a guy who's going to dip into his bag of tricks. He just like blows by Scotty and gets to the rim and has like an inside hand layup. And it's just like, Oh wait, that, that's another thing where I'm like, okay, is he hurt? Like, is, is mm-hmm. that, is that what's going on? Like, can he just like straight up, like not plant and like drive and like be able to recover But I also think that his defensive mechanics in general are just very, very poor. I think that uh, at the point of attack, he kind of stands up a little bit too high a lot of the time. I think that, you know, another thing that I pointed out to you off the ball is I can't tell if this is scheme based, like Toronto is telling him, okay, we want to keep the ball out of the middle We want to keep the ball away from the center of the court. So we want you to angle guys to the sideline and use your length doing it that way. But like OG Ananobi doesn't really do that. He just guards guys straight up. Pascal Siakam doesn't really do that. Guys that are similarly sized, they they just don't really do that. And the end result is that because his defensive positioning is the way it is, he gives up driving lanes like just way too easily. And Again, because he's stiff, because he's not like this wildly twitchy athlete necessarily. He's more of a long athlete with kind of Mm -hmm. a high center of gravity. I think he really struggles to recover. So he ends up taking like on the ball, these weird angles kind of where like he's trying to like, it feels like he's trying to cut off the middle of the ground, but like he's not. And then on top of it, I think he's really bad at navigating screens. Like I think he gets clipped on screens a lot and doesn't recover well uh, whenever he is trying to get back into the play. Uh, And it just leads to mid-range jumpers. It leads to undue pressure on the rim protectors at a really high level. Um, The thing that like is weirdest to me is like, is him closing out onto shooters. He, I think sinks way too far into the play. Uh, on the, when it's on the opposite side of the court. And again, I can't tell if that's scheme-based or if that's his decision to do that, where he's like trusting his length to be able to get back into the play. But the problem is that 
he is one of the longest players in the NBA and he's still not long enough to get back into the play whenever he's trying to trying to get back on a closeout. And again, because he's not like the twitchiest athlete, because he's not the lightest guy on his feet, like for instance, OG Ananobi is OG, I think does a really, really good job of navigating that gap whenever he's closing out. He doesn't take those long, you know, I think he takes long strides while still being able to keep his center of balance. I think that Scotty doesn't do a great job of that. And it ends up with him getting driven on closeouts way too regularly. The last thing that I'll point out is like they often use him as like a roamer defensively, it feels like, where they're trying to make things happen. And I just don't think that he has like enough defensive awareness of like where his man is. Like, for instance, the the Yuta Watanabe three at the end of the Brooklyn game, it was pretty clear, it seemed like, where the Raptors told him, hey, we're going to stick you on Yuta. We want you coming up and being the help man at, you know, the Kyrie and KD action that's probably going to happen at the top. We want you to be the guy that's there. But the problem is that, like, I think he lost complete track of where Yuta was deep in the corner. And then he ends up having to track back into that closeout. And it's just like way too far and he's not able to make it. Like, I think that he often funnels the the. The takeaway here is I think off the ball, he funnels too far toward the ball into the play and it creates these very long distances that he has to travel in order to try and get back onto his man. And it ends up leading to drives, open threes, things like that. And yeah, like I'm with you. I know what the defensive advanced numbers say and I I just don't agree with them. Like I've watched, I think now 14 Raptors games, uh, this year, which is quite a few for someone who's like in my position. And I feel like I have a pretty good handle on this. And I just don't, I don't see it with him defensively right now. I agree with you that he got to a place where he was pretty okay last year, but it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to look at what he's doing defensively right now and say that there's a case for him to be a positive defender. That's we have to wait and see, I guess, until he's this is once again a leap, but healthy to see yeah. some of that explosion, especially when he's some of it's roaming sometimes. But some of there's some stuff where you can tell he's just being asked to do a lot at the point of attack and not even necessarily in these switching schemes. But when they're trying to play straight up, uh, just having him kind of step up on a guy and be like, navigate this screen. Go ahead. Well, it is really tough. It's that in like. Frankly, like, I think Nick, this is where like Nick Nurse, like the questions about him, I think are valid. Like they're putting Scotty Barnes in a position where they're asking him at the end of the game to guard James Harden. Right. And the Raptors last night got very lucky because for some ungodly reason, Doc Rivers was like, hey, you know, what's a good idea. Let's run a ball screen set where we're going to get OG Ananobi switched on to James Harden. That mm-hmm. seems like a great idea. Let's have the best defensive player in the NBA isolating uh, or isolated on James Harden. That's what we want. And it was so – go ahead. Yeah, that's actually – I think that's Scotty's best skill. You can see it when they played <laughs> the Hawks. You can see it when they played the 76ers, not just this past game, but in the playoffs is that when Scotty's being switched off ball, I find that the compete level on the back end of the switch to the bigger yeah. guy, he's pretty good. And also, he gets a lot of steals that way. Pascal Siakam yep. does as well. Pocket passes, 
or airborne passes are not nearly yeah what passes in airborne <laughs> um, but like the the passes that don't bounce they're, they're bounce um, passes yeah 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 he has <laughs> he has a great compete level in the lanes when he's on the back end of a switch that that's an underrated thing he does at the level but that's that's a very small part of defense but actually yeah that's that's something he's good at for what it's worth <laughs> yeah no I, I agree like there are aspects of defense that like he's good at when he like is fully engaged he's very active and aggressive I think he often also gets too flat-footed like I sent you a yeah. photo from last night's game against the net uh the 76ers mm-hmm. where they're in like this weird matchup zone kind of thing. And it's very clear that like his role for where he was and where the action was in this play is like kind of similar to a two, three zone where the ball's on the opposite side of the court. And he is supposed to like come down to the elbow and like potentially be there to help at the nail while also trying to cut off a potential kick out. And what he does is he comes down into position and like angles his body toward where James Harden is. But instead of like being active and like on his toes and like ready to come back and like close out on D'Anthony Melton, who's a 39% three point shooter the last three years, uh, he kind of sinks back into being flat footed. And the end result is that like the corner man realizes that there's no way Scotty can get this recovery once James kicks it out to the wing after getting to the nail and Scotty or they they end up catching it. D'Anthony Melton ends up catching it. And because the corner man has to come up, he just reverses it down into the corner to PJ Tucker, who hits a wide open three. And it's just like, well, that's kind of like on Scotty because why are you so sunk deep into your flat footed stance instead of like being on your toes ready to close out. So that corner man doesn't have to help up to the top of the wing to be able to stop uh, this shot. So it's, there's just weird. It's all like a lot of bad habits as much as anything for a guy that like, I felt like never had bad habits when he was younger. He, He had like a high center of gravity and got beat a little bit more off the bounce than what I think people recognized. But he didn't really have bad habits. Like he was just very active and aggressive all the time. And yeah, he has some of those now. For any listener who's wondering about like the terms like high hips and stuff like that. Um, I wrote a piece with a, an MD who goes by polar on Twitter. It's called the biomechanics of Scotty Barnes, where we kind of explain some of this, even going so far as to explain how OG navigates some of the similar, I guess, physical aspects of himself. Um, with different counters. And so if anybody's interested in these terms, you can read something like that. But uh, the defense, I guess the last thing I would say is that you can see with mobility at his best, with his aggressive inclinations, that that roamer position, this is something I talked about with PD Webb right after he got drafted to the Raptors, is this does look like that is the ideal role for him. But those bad habits have to become good habits. And Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi probably present as really good models to navigate those spaces. OG with, you know, showing you like, this is how you play one pass away and do it extremely well. And Pascal showing like, hey, this is how you roam as the low man. It's not Jaron Jackson Jr. or Rob Williams, but Pascal Siakam is super heady and makes a lot of really great decisions in rotation. And Scotty obviously has the body and... That's the interesting thing about people who read the game exceptionally well as passers. You wonder if they'll be able to start reading rotations, the inverse, right? Something like that. So 
I remain optimistic about Scotty overall as a defender. However, I never, and you can go look at my coverage of him in the first year, I've never agreed with like this all defense level defender status that he was being some sort of destined thing for him to have happen for him. I would love for that to be the case, but he's struggled immensely um, making good decisions. And he's, I think, overextended the point of attack. I'd love to see him turn things around, though, and especially as a as a helper. I, I think that he has every tool and like has all of the motor and like desire to do it. I, I, like honestly, like if, when he's twenty five, like I would bet on him being a really good defender, mm-hmm. just straight up. He's not yep. there now, but like I would bet on him being very, very good on that end of the court because he has all the tools. The other thing he does really well defensively, I think, is communicate. You can always see him pointing. You can always see him talking. You can see he's trying to communicate switches. And I think that he's the one that almost is loudest. A lot of this comes from someone who doesn't go to Raptors games. But even on tape, you can see it. That like he's the one that's trying to point out switches, the one that's trying to communicate with his teammates. And yeah, like that. that's all those are all really positive signs. Like I, I do think he sees things. He sees things well defensively while not executing them almost. Like, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen something like it. It's kind of strange because again, this is a guy that was really good defensively when he was younger. And like, you could say, oh, well, he's just kind of overwhelming everybody athletically because he was six foot nine, 225 pounds, 215 pounds, at least from the time he was basically like a sophomore in high school. Right. But I don't know. Like I, I always saw a smarter defender there than what, He's been so far, even if he has like the physical limitations in terms of high hips, in terms of like, like stride length, sometimes, you know, we talk about it on offense where he's able to cover those grounds at a really, really high level. Well, having those high hips and like long legs sometimes can actually be a hindrance defensively because it takes a little bit extra time to like load up and like drop your like hip and like, you know, Mm -hmm. slide over just like that extra split small second can make all the difference in the world defensively when you're trying to stay in front of someone. So yeah, no, like I I don't, I don't know what to do with Scotty. (laughs) It's where I'm at defensively. The the physical counters have to come from him. Like Yuta Watanabe is one of the best players in the NBA, specifically at closing out, like chopping feet contained, but he has a different body than Scotty and he has, he's good at different types of athletic feats and guys like even Kyle Anderson, for example, finding his way to being effective on the defensive end as the guy, you know, nickname. Yeah. yeah. And I think that those, I think the two guys that you want to look at, you don't want to look at Yuta for Scotty in terms of closing out. You want to look at, Kyle Anderson, and you want to look at OG. OG takes these big, long, looping strides almost. Like he doesn't really like, you know, chop step out, Mm -hmm. right? He takes long strides out to close out and maintains his balance and just uses his length to close out. You, I feel like you rarely see OG jump to try to like block a shot on a closeout unless he really feels like he's got it. Right. Or unless he really feels like this guy is 100 percent going up for a shot, I can go up and try and block this or I can go up and really try to contest this Um, with Yuta. It's it is like the shorter, choppier steps. Mm -hmm. Right. But because of Scotty's physical frame, I think you want to go looking more toward those guys that take those long looping steps like an OG Ananobi, because I think that's how he'll be more effective closing out. Just use his length 
don't try and like jump. Don't fall for ball fakes. Don't like leave your feet a little bit. Use your length, use your long strides, stay on balance and do it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that he has to find for himself that the team development staff, you know, coaching staff, all that kind of stuff, they Mm -hmm. have to work in unison to find that for him. And it'll be interesting to see how this looks like at the end of the season. Maybe we'll have another conversation about how Scotty has progressed and in, in a few years from now, who knows. But offensively, for a player who we talked about limitations, we talked about how it presents unique team building, I guess, approaches you have to take. But a guy who largely is, even though the transition for the Raptors has been horrific the last however many weeks, kind of a weird thing. But Scotty, I think, is... I feel comfortable when he's healthy saying an elite transition presence, both because of the way he couples rim pressure and tremendous passing in the open floor. He has elite vision as a connector when he's playing with an advantage in the half court. And as far as creating his own shot, he is way better at isolation than he's supposed to be at this point. As far as creating looks on mass for teammates, creating a lot of advantage from a standstill with screens, all that kind of stuff. That isn't inherent to his game currently, so he doesn't get to play make with advantage that often. And when he does, it's typically based off of being the first pass away from Pascal Siakam or or Fred VanVleet or something like that. So I'm curious what you think about how he fits into a modern NBA offense. That's kind of the question, right? And I think that like a lot of it depends on his development long term in terms of where that'll be. Right now, I just. Look, this year he has not been a, an effective offensive player. And that's just the reality of the situation, right? Like he's good in transition, but I think a lot of the things he takes off the table half court in the half court game are real. Like the 76ers in that game last night, they just plunked Joel Embiid on him and said, Scotty, if you want to take mid-range shots, if you want to take three pointers, be our guest. And that ended up clogging up the entire offensive structure for the Raptors. And part of this is again, endemic to the way the Raptors are built from a roster perspective, especially without Gary Trent and especially with OG and Anobi first game back from injury, right? They need guys that can space the floor. Not having Gary Trent is actually like a really, really important thing for the Raptors. Fred Van Vliet being in the middle of a shooting slump is a really, really important thing for the Raptors. He seems to now be finally coming out of it a little bit, which is good. I think it's why Malachi Flynn, like, you know, being on the court at times, he at least gets treated like he's a shooter. But having so many big, long guys on the court, it just kind of takes up space, especially when your best player, Pascal Siakam, wants to get into the same spaces that Scotty Barnes does. Like, you see a lot of similar things with the Bulls, where they have Nikola Vucevic, even like Zach Levine to an extent lives in the mid range now. Uh, you know, Patrick Williams would prefer to get into the mid range. But then, of course, you have this all-encompassing offensive force of mid-range activity in DeMar DeRozan, and he ends up dominating all of it. And then the other guys, he kind of left by the wayside, and like they end up having a tougher time in the mid-range because there just isn't as much space for them to be able to do things. So I think that you see that where Pascal is like the main guy in terms of being able to get and drive mid-range play. And with Scotty, there's just always help there. There's always someone there ready to contest. And you can kind of look at the shooting percentages right now in terms of why teams are choosing not to guard Scotty Barnes, right? From 10 to 16 feet, he's shooting 27.8%. 
from 16 to 23 feet, he's shooting 35, I think 35.3%. From three-point range, he's shooting 31.6%. This is kind of what I thought he was coming out of Florida State in terms of the shot. Now, I think that he made enough strides as a rookie to make me think that like maybe, look, ankle injuries really screw up your shooting. They do because they screw up all of the rhythm, the transfer of weight, everything like that. So I think there's a very good chance that like he is a diminished shooter right now because he's trying to like do a little bit more with his upper body as opposed to like his lower body because he just doesn't have that like drive and lift from his lower half. And just frankly, the rhythm is different on the jumper, right? But right now he can't shoot. And that's a significant problem for the Raptors, the fact that he can't shoot. And he's only taking, I think, like one to 1.5 catch and shoot shots per game right now. So like teams don't have to worry about him on the backside as a guy that's doing that. On top of it, I think he's been a little bit less active as a cutter this year. Do you feel that way? I, I think he, his his cutting has been a little bit less active. Some of that is because he had, you know, a 10 game sample without Pascal Siakam and Scotty, you know, his big resurgence at the end of, cause it seemed like he hit the rookie wall around like January, February, you know, rookie wall, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. But when Pascal Siakam really came into form, suddenly a lot of cutting opportunities opened up, a lot of finishing opportunities opened up and Scotty had a tremendous finish to the season. So having, I guess at this point, like a third of his game so far without Pascal, has affected yeah. his process to some degree. Um, can I can I give you the pitch? Can I say like here's here's what I think is the positive take on Scotty as an offensive player? I guess by the yeah, end of this season. It. Okay, so the health is very important. I my my vision of it right is early seals on switches. We saw the mm-hmm. Raptors lose to the Orlando Magic because Franz Wagner, that genius that he is, like seven eight seconds before the he eventually took advantage of it sealed fred van vliet like 22 feet away from the basket just Mm -hmm. the early work is so important scotty can do early work on switches and stuff like that he's a tremendous offensive rebounder he should with health be introducing way more stampede cuts into the offense like even if guys aren't going to give him that hard closeout a stampede cut can introduce some some new machinations of how a, a defense might have to deal with you if you can get the foot down, the ball down, and like gather the ball, you can present a lot of problems as a guy who's going to finish at the rim, especially since he's comfortable with the free throw line, comfortable with contact, all that kind of stuff. And when he's in motion, and something that the Raptors do more so with Thad Young currently than than they do with Scotty, but I guess this is in Scotty's future, is that just having the ball go through him above the break and this makes more sense in a future version of the Raptors where they do run a lot of actions or stuff like that, but he makes passes that other players can't make. And while Pascal is the best playmaker on the Raptors because he gets to places where defenses kind of freak out, Scotty is a guy who can make something out of nothing as a trigger man. And so I really love Scotty. You know, we like the roamer on defense, but I love him as a roamer setting screens, sprinting into space, being that ultimate connector on offense. And then if teams, like this is what happened with Bam Adebayo, right? Who is a better player than Scotty currently, but as far as proclivity to go and like just mash himself into the basket, we should see Scotty as a guy roaming in the middle, catch, pressure the rim. Just that teams never forget that he has that presence because he can play bigger than 
than his his listed height, his listed weight, and stuff like that. So I think all those things, the offensive rebounding, cutting, screening, against all that kind of stuff, as the shot hopefully progresses somewhat, not linear, but continues to get better, I think that presents a very unique player and somebody who I think would get a little bit more important in a playoff context. That's the the optimistic sell on Scotty as far as his offense, I think. Yeah, so, so here's where I would ask you, what have you thought of his finishing this year? Because if you look at the numbers on the finishing right now, among players that have taken at least 75 shots at the rim, according to Synergy, he is currently 125th out of 150 guys in terms of efficiency. And you look at the guys that are down there, it's the guys around him are Derek White, Jalen Green, John Morant, Caleb Martin, Jordan Clarkson, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Pat Williams, Norman Powell, Marcus Smart, Shaden Sharp. So like a lot of guards, a lot of wings, smaller guys than him that shouldn't, you know, Jaw is a guy that's a little bit different, obviously, because mm-hmm. he has this incredible bounce and body control. But guys that are smaller than him, he should be able to finish at the rim at a 65 to 70% clip. Right now he's at 59.8. And that's like a significant difference. So I guess that your entire vision is almost based on him being able to put this elite pressure on the rim in some way, either as a cutter or as a pick and roll guy, right? Or as a dribble handoff guy who can reject dribble handoffs and just kind of act as that Swiss army knife, right? What have you thought of his finishing? Because that's ultimately the key skill there. You have to be able to finish and put pressure on the rim. I thought his finishing was really impressive last season. And when he has games and when he has games where you can see that burst is there, I think that the finishing couples with that and it looks quite good. As far as a lot of these games where, you know, this is, do we want to attribute it to health? Do we want to do all that kind of stuff? Am I being, you know, a little coward and kind of sitting there and being like, well, when he's healthy, maybe to some degree. But I'm choosing, I think, currently to err on the side of last season, he played in space as a connector more so than this season where he, he struggled quite a bit as a primary when asked to. A lot of his looks this season not only are coming with what looks like a little bit of depleted health and a depleted, I guess, burst, but also he's doing it on longer steps because he's navigating his primary, then navigating, you know, the secondary level of the defense. And I think, at least in this vision of of who I think he could be great as going forward, there's going to be some creation off the bounce, of course, on switches, bully drives, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But I think that he will have He'll be catching the ball closer to the basket so that he puts the dribble down in closer proximity. It's a little bit easier to finish. Like you're you're navigating less of the defense. And of course, yep. he could progress and become a primary. And, you know, as you said earlier, like at 25 could present these incredible physical, um, yeah. I guess, he's just he might overwhelm a lot of different players. We'll have to wait and see. But I guess the the short and long of it is that I believe in the film of last season of him as a finisher where it it did look very impressive. It was what, like 47%, 48% around in the short mid, well, per cleaning the glass, not synergy, um, but around that in the short mid range, it was 70% at the rim. And I guess that's zero to four feet with cleaning the glass. It's just, I believe in that rather than this season. And I think this season has been filled with struggles, but the finishing touch and the finishing ability I think I would look to last season if I'm presenting him as a, a connective offensive piece going forward, if if you know what I mean. 
Yeah. And for what it's worth, I agree with you. I just wanted to ask you because you've watched yeah. more of them than I have at this point. I, I agree with you in terms of that. And this is where I think having Christian Coloco, Kem Birch playing center a lot of the time, even like Thad Young doesn't really get guarded outside of, you know, 14 yeah. feet at this point. So I think that's where ha always having a center there as a rim protector really, really hinders Scotty as a finisher. This team desperately needs to go out and get a big that can like put pressure on the rim as a scorer or the go out in space away from the rim. But that's a conversation maybe for my show that we're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I, I think that that context is really, really important when discussing Scotty as a finisher. I agree with you, man. Like th this is why, like, I think Scotty's really like. I think that he is not playing incredibly well right now, but the vision for what he can be is incredibly good and while like ultimately i think that his upside is more like top 25 player in the league as opposed to maybe like top 10 player in the league like maybe the most optimistic people on scotty could have thought last year you know that's an all-star like his, his upside is being an all-star in the nba at this point unequivocally mm -hmm. like a similar thing in a lot of ways to what pascal siakam became is a really great model for what Scotty can be in the future, just almost with increased processing speed, right? Like Scotty's ability to process as a passer, it took Pascal forever to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And Pascal entered the NBA at like 22 or 23, if I remember correctly. And he just now is starting to get to the point where he can make passing reads at a reasonable clip. So he has a really good model for what he can be. He's in an organization as much as anything that I trust to develop him well. Even if I don't like some of the ways that Nick Nurse utilizes him right now and puts him in positions that I think are disadvantageous to where his game is, I do think that this organization developmentally is one of the best in the NBA and will figure out the best way to utilize him. So while I think Scotty has struggled immensely this year and has not been very good. I think that his long-term future is like immensely high. And like, I think the injury is sapping him a bit. I think that, you know, probably teams are figuring out how to guard his deficiencies a little bit better uh, on the court. I think that the contextual situation of not having a center that like can do anything on offense, frankly, really hinders him particularly. So there's just a lot of reasons why I think he's been ineffective to this point. And I think we can have the conversation of recognizing that, yeah, he hasn't been great this year, but there's also a very distinct and real possibility. And like, frankly, I think not even a possibility, I think a rather likely fact at this point that when he is 24, 25 years old, he's going to be a really, really, really hard problem to solve for NBA teams. Mm -hmm. That's that's something I've been talking about in all of my coverage is that Scotty is definitely struggling, but it probably shouldn't move anybody's idea of his ceiling lower. Um, and, and if your ceiling has been moved lower, I think that there was maybe some misalignment of how you were analyzing him prior because <laughs> it's he has a very funky skill set. It's the same thing with Pascal where Pascal isn't like, how do you, how do you scale this up? without being as good as Pascal is because it's not like a spread pick and roll skill set or anything like that. It's it's kind of in fits and starts, you dominate and then you kind of sit back and you observe. And 
that Scotty has to figure out how to implement himself all the time when he doesn't have an advantageous switch and where, you know, there's so many things you can do on a court that he has to continue to maximize all the little things. And that's, that's a big part of his game going forward, but so is the bigger stuff like shot development and everything that comes along with it. Sam, yeah. uh, before we head over to have the conversation about the Raptors <laughs> as a whole, is there anything you'd like to say to the audience before we get out of here? Not really. I mean, look, I, I think the Raptors fans have a opinion of what I think of Scotty uh, that is not right. Uh, I am a big fan of Scotty's game. Uh, he is, he was like one of my favorite prospects in 2021. I just had real concerns about the offensive game. And I think that a lot of these concerns have reared their head uh, over the course of realistically, like, you know, the back half of last year outside of that month long run in, you know, late March, early April, and then throughout the start of this season. But this guy's like one of my favorite guys to watch in the league when he's operating at full speed because he communicates super well. He's active. He's aggressive. He drives transition play. Like, I think that they don't like, I think that a way to utilize him, even they very rarely run like super high ball screens up the court for him. Right. Like, I I think that if you ran super high ball screens, like 35 feet away from the rim, as opposed to like 29 feet away from the rim, a lot of the time where he's getting them, that would give him even more space to get downhill and use the processing speed and use some of the things that he can do uh, as a driver getting to the rim once he is a downhill player. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm in on Scotty, like on a very real level. It's just that I think there are real concerns that continue to rear their head, and we need to be able to talk about those in a very uh, lucid and – cogent and like realistic circumstance at this point yeah he's a lot of players go through this and a lot of players who don't like it's if you're not a a pick and roll guard you know Nikola Jokic had to figure out not that not that Scotty's Nikola but Nikola Jokic had to figure out like how the hell do I make an offense go with my skill set how do I fit next to other players and Luckily for Jokic, he became the top dog and now guys fit around him and he works to make them work well. But a lot of guys start out their career saying, I'm the guy, I'm going to try to get to that point. Some do, some don't, and they have to reassess, like, how do I work off of these other guys? How do I make things work for myself in in this context? And we see it happen all the time with a bunch of different players. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is, for some people, an all-star level player, and he went through that very thing. And it's just... Yep. There's a lot of things to do on a basketball that are valuable. When you're big and athletic and read the floor well, uh, you can access a lot of those. Hopefully, Scotty does. Sam, thanks for coming on, man. We'll go have a chat over on yours, Game Theory. Uh, if anybody wants to read Sam's work, The Athletic, Game Theory for the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.